Well, welcome back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast with the one and only Alexander Hawk and the great and wonderful Mr. Matthew Fisher. You're too kind. You're too kind. I try. I try. And today what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the best top ten movie reboots of all time. Yeah. Now, yeah, that's something, don't you say? Don't you say now? Heck, yeah. All right, cool. All right, folks, yeah. As you heard the Hawkmen say, we're going to be kicking it into gear. Uh, We're going to be looking into some of our favorite or our best, you know, some of the films that have been rebooted um, that that we and other people claim to be some of the best of that form. You know what I mean? Some of the best of... Films that got reboot, you know what I mean? A little rebooty boot boot da boot da da boot yeah yeah. So uh, with that being said, you know we don't want to you know condone the condonership. We don't want to condone the reboot. Uh, I, more recently, I like to call them retellings, reimaginings. A reboot yeah. or re- remake is a bad burden on a film. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, a thing is. It's getting to a point where, I mean, Hollywood's is going to do what it's going to do. And, you know, Hollywood is all about making money, not art. We all have have to accept that at this time. You want art, you have to go to the underground. You have to go to the punk rock scene. Uh, But uh, if you want, uh, I mean, right now I'm kind of looking at Hollywood much the way I look at, like, uh, the theater. I yeah. mean, the third does how many, you know, renditions of, of the musical Cats or, you know, Music Man or Death of the sa- uh, Death of a Salesman. I mean, the thing is that there's been these plays that people play over and over again. You have different actors in it doing different uh, ways of presenting these characters that we've seen all all these other times. And I guess we have to start looking at uh, movies, especially out of Hollywood, the same way. Because Hollywood can't think of anything new. So they just grab uh, the old stuff. And, uh, I mean, heck, when movies started being made, they took, you know, theater production, theater scripts, and made them into movies. So now they're just kind of going back to the theater style of, hey, we already got these scripts. This just throw different actors in it and and keep going with it. True. Which is sad. You know what I mean? It's truly sad. You know what I mean? Um, like I was saying before, you know, there the there's a burden that comes with the reboot. You know, people want to reboot movies, of course, because they. A studio will say, hey, you know, this already has a built-in audience. You know what I mean? If we make this movie, the people that like the old one are going to come see it. You know what I mean? And they're, they're, they're right. You know what I mean? They do go and see it uh, no matter how much fans go, I don't want to see that shit. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, they do support them. If you, don't wanna, if you don't want movies to be in theaters in a big way, don't support them like some independent films that you don't see th- in theaters in big ways. Uh, and then you won't have to see those big reboots. You know what I mean? Yep. So uh, it's one of those deals. Now, we got a whole list of stuff, um, multiple genres type deals and stuff like that. And there's a film that, I, that I'll, whenever I think of reboot giving a film a bad name, 
Um, there's a film that always pops into my head as of recent time, and that film is a little horror film called Suspiria, all right? <laughs> now, uh, Dario Argento did the original, and it's a classic masterpiece. You know, it's a crowning achievement of horror cinema. Uh, nobody can argue that. I think everybody, uh, even people that don't like horror, like that film. Now, they rebooted it, and they made another movie called Suspiria. And that movie's very weird, very dark, and I happen to think it's very good. Now, I feel if it wasn't called Suspiria, it would have done a lot better. I think that the burden of the name and the expectations, even though I read they're very different in films, tone-wise and everything else, they're very different. Um, I think it's still kind of just being under the umbrella or the overshadow of uh, being in the shadow of the original film is troublesome. That's why I always support sequels or a reimagining, a retelling of a story, um, an, an actual a rebooting. I don't think I don't, I don't rebooting is kind of a lame thing to do. It's kind of lazy just to reboot it. It's like celebrate the original and make a sequel. You know, you know, take, take that money uh, to make, make your, make your, uh, make your reboot or make, make your sequel. Make your sequel or your reimagining and uh, take some money. And for promo in your marketing campaign, why don't you throw the original movie in the theaters or up on streaming nowadays, I guess would be a more fitting thing. But back in the old know, throw, if you threw, if you were making an exorcist, uh, re, re, uh, they rebooted it, which I thought was a bad idea as well. Uh, but they also did sequels. But if you were to do a sequel and you were to kind of bring that first film, put that back out there and let people kind of watch that again and go, oh, kind of build up, build up a little. You're making money off of an, an older older uh, product, you know what I mean, which is good and, and older rights. But, um, you know, it's one of those deals. And then you just kind of put your film out after, so to speak. I could be, I, I think I'm talking madness. Let's get into the films. All right. Um, so first up on our docket, number 10, we have, well, we're not doing numbers because, uh, we're going to be flown all over the place, but Alexander Hawk, I know this is a movie that you enjoy and that I don't enjoy. I've never watched it. Never found a need to watch it. Could be a good movie. I just don't, for whatever reason, I don't jive with it. You know what I mean? From 2001. Ocean's Eleven, you know what I mean? Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon. Um, what's his name from Hotel Rwanda there? Why am I forgetting his name? Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle, my boy in Boogie Nights, dude. Respect. I love Don Cheadle. I forgot your name for a second, but don't feel bad because I forgot. Uh, there's another dude in there, and I was just talking about him. He was in the movie Frog. I think he passed recently. Um, Elliot Gould, my boy. Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould is Elliot Gould is one of those actors that has that look to him. You know what I mean? He's got that kind of stuck up kind of uh, that he's got that vibe, which is an acting thing. I, I assume we're going to go with it was an acting thing, and uh, but he always had this this arrogant vibe to him. But I could appreciate it. You know what I mean? And uh, very few people are as good as playing arrogant as him. 
uh, Elliot Gould, uh, more, he, he had a long TV career forever. He was in TV and movies. Um, the most recent thing, it's not even recent. Um, I know he's done more recent stuff. It's even later. Like I know the, the him playing the, the mother's boyfriend in American history X that always, pops up in my head whenever I think of Elliot Gould. You think of the comedic stuff he did, but you think of like the, the scene in American History X he did with Norton, the scene where they're at the table and uh, he like rips his shirt and he shows the swastika on his chest and he's like, yeah, you know what this means? It means this you, means you ain't welcome in my fucking family. It's a fucking intense moment. It's a really crazy scene. And uh, Elliot Gould's the, 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 the mother's boyfriend in that scene and he's taken back uncomfortable. It was just beautifully played. I mean, the scene's ugly for the subject matter, but it's beautifully acted by both actors really well. Now, are you a fan of the oceans 11 franchise? There was what? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 as well. <laughs> well, um, I think there's a total of three movies. Three or f- I know they did like three movies and then they tried to do a female version. Female one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was originally I based. Enjoyed, yeah. I enjoyed the first one with um, Matt Damon, you know, Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a decent, well fun little caper movie. I'm, and and I think what I like more about it than anything else is honestly the ensemble feel. Yeah, no, I hear you. At the time they did it, there wasn't a lot of films. I mean, now you're talking about Marvel movies where you have big-name actors and all these roles working together. But at the time Ocean's Eleven came out, which was, let's see, that was like 2001. It wasn't a big thing. And um, and I really like the, uh, the fact where you have a lot of big-name actors with a lot of talent working together, not with one person is, you know, solely the star and everyone's just, you know, uh, supporting. But everyone, you know, gave each other a lot of gravitas in, in the film. Now, the original, um, I watched it. It was fun. It was okay. Uh, it was mainly, it's Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. It was the Rat Pack. It was that group of actors and, and, and uh, entertainers. And and the thing is, depending on how you feel about the Rat Pack and, and that group, I mean, it was it was definitely a good movie. Um, but I would say definitely Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney and Matt Damon was more of a fun movie because, yeah. from my memory, the one with Frank Sinatra, they played it more serious, which is great, and I'm totally down with that. Um, but it just, it was one of those things where I watched it, it was okay, but it wasn't something that stayed with me. Well, um, I think the, the Rat Pack are musicians. They're ma- they acted, but they're mainly musicians. Whereas in the reboots were, phenom- were more stand-up actors. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can, I argue, think- you can argue both uh, Sinatra and Dean Martin were like literally the main like 
from my memory, like the main standout as, as actors, because, well, yes, they had their singing careers and all that, but uh, Frank Sinatra had done a lot of uh, classic films at the time. Same thing yeah. with uh, Dean Martin. More, more, and don't forget Devil Worshipping Sammy Davis Jr., my boy. Um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, the, no, there, I've, I, you know, I, I, I don't take discredit to Sinatra's acting, but he's definitely more of a singer than an actor. It was more yeah. of a, he was a singer moonlighting as an actor, as as opposed to these people are actors um, moonlighting as thieves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I only brought that up not to attack credibility of acting, but to just say that I think that that might be why this, that they, were, they were allowed to have more comedy in the second one, because I don't think I feel like that first film with Sinatra and them, they might not have been so easy to, uh, you know, be able to make fun of themselves as well. They could, but you know what I mean? As yeah. like comedy, you know, comedy is very, as you know, the comedy and dramatic are very, very close. It's a, it's a thin line and they're hard to do. It's a gamble of which one's harder. But I think that um, I never seen the original Ocean's Eleven, but my guess is they kind of probably played themselves a little bit, almost like the Rat Pack we're yeah. stealing from this. I mean, I, mean, I mean, the thing is that uh, Matt's right. I mean, for the most part, I'm... Dean Martin was Dean Martin. Frank Sinatra was Frank Sinatra, just with different names. And uh, like I said, it was enjoyable enough, but definitely not um, not not the greatest. I mean, it's it's. I mean, that's what I appreciate about this reboot was the fact that they took a uh, thing that was already done, and then they just. They they had fun with it. They tried to change it up a bit, yeah. and and that's what I liked about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. You know what I mean? I like it. Um, next up on 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 our little our little journey, we have uh, there's two movies that I kind of want to mention together. Uh, there's 2012's Dread. You know what I mean? Um, and there's also 2008's Punisher Warzone. Okay. okay. Um, now Punisher War, you know, I'll start with Punisher Warzone. Of course, you know, all the, the Thomas Jane Punisher, Dolph Lundgren Punisher, and they're enjoyable films. But when they got to this one, start with Nick Santora, um, I thought this one was really good. I thought it was fun. It was action packed. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, Dominic West as the villain, I thought was really cool playing Jigsaw. I thought that was such a great, great villain. The only thing that, you know, Ray Stevenson as the Punisher was a great, a great, um, a great fit. I gotta say, the only thing that was out of place a little bit for me was Doug Hutchinson there from like the Green Mile who plays, you know, which I enjoy. I enjoy him as a character, but he played Looney Bin Jim and he, he, I don't know, he just felt he felt, uh, it's funny to even say this because it's not true, but he felt, because I've known him so much for, he's so, uh, in my head, he's burnt in my brain as fucking the Green Mile heavily. You know what I mean? So seeing him in this felt like he was almost, I wouldn't want to say too big for the project because that's not real, but like, he's the only, I've seen the other actors and other things and he's the only one that I kind of couldn't take I kind of couldn't take him out of being that other character a little bit. And he's kind of goofily over the top. 
And they try to ride a line of him being like a psychopath and goofy, which I appreciate. But and I don't credit, I don't give the actor hard times. I think he was just trying to go there. But I just, I blame more myself not being able to, you know, unfortunately not being able to put get out of the the Green Mile aspect of it. Um, but I thought Punisher Warzone was good times. And now Dread 2012, uh, of course, reboots. It's a reboot of, you know, Judge Dredd with Stallone from the 90s, 95, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, the gun blazing cyberpunk uh, out there killing everybody off. You know what I mean? Doing it big. Uh, futuristic police force type shit. Um, fun. You know, Dredd was fun. Both of these films, The Punisher, Warzone, and Dread, I thought were fun installments to their franchises. That's why I wanted to kind of make note of them. What you, have you seen these films? Uh, yeah. Um, okay, going with um, uh, Judge uh, uh, Dredd. Um, I really liked uh, the uh, remake uh, with Carl Urban. Now, Dredd itself was based on the comic book. Right. And uh, and I I saw the one way back when with um, a good old Sylvester Stallone and you had um, uh, I, I, uh, Roy Schneider yep. as as the comic relief and I have to say I have a weak spot for that movie because I think it's a lot of fun I enjoy it but it's definitely a film that strayed quite a bit from the source material. Now, Dread with Carl Urban, that one was extremely close to the source material. And um, one of the big things is that in the comic book, Dread never lifts his helmet. That's like a big thing about the character. And in... You know, Carl Urban's uh, portrayal, he also doesn't lift the helmet. And, of course, you can always argue it's hard to tell that it's even Carl Urban in there because the helmet hides most of his face. Right. But, I mean, that's true to the character, which I appreciate. I also appreciate that Dread is the best 3D uh, movie that has come out in recent years. Hands yeah. down. Um, for the simple fact that they use the 3D during only scenes when there's this drug that the bad guys are pushing that, you know, people use called slow-mo. You take it and you feel like everything's <coughs> slow motion. And the way they did the 3D was when you take the, the drug, you know, the camera goes round in and out. You see like a bottle floating. You see the bodies floating. And it really gives you a cool 3D kind of almost making you feel like you're part that you're on the drug also. So that was a great adaption of the film, a great adaption of the story. And uh, I thought it was, and and I love Carl Urban. And I think he really brought, you know, dread to the screen the way that it was envisioned in the comic book. Um, Sylvester Stallone one, I mean, I love it, but, uh, it definitely, it's, it's a Sylvester Stallone movie with the name. It's not a Judge Dredd movie. It's a Sylvester Stallone movie with the name Judge Dredd. I agree. And, and like I said, you like Sylvester Stallone, 
watch the movie. Um, if you like the original social material, um, Judge Dredd, then you should watch the movie Dread with Carl <coughs> Urban. Now, jumping over to Punisher Warzone. Um, I, I liked, I liked the Dolph Lundgren, uh, Punisher. I enjoyed. I, 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 it was fun for what it was. Yeah. And, um, and then the, uh, one with, uh, uh, Thomas Jane. Uh, my biggest problem with that one and why that didn't do that well was they made a mistake making John Travolta the bad guy in that Punisher. And the reason is this. John Travolta can play great bad guys. There's no... But instead of a Punisher movie, you got a uh, movie focusing on him, his character. And it felt the, Thomas Jane's Punisher felt so so removed from his own movie. That's why that movie didn't do that well because they're like, "Oh, we got John Travolta. Let's focus on him and try to give his." Ki-. And the thing is, they didn't give him any more depth. Mm-hmm. Okay, sometimes you're like, "This focus on the villain. This get his backstory. This you know get some depth so there's a little bit more of an interesting dynamic between the hero and the villain." No, no. They just, whoa, we got John Travolta. We got to make sure that we get as much of him in the movie as we can and use that to sell it. Instead of focusing on Thomas Jane, who is the main character of the story. Now, Warzone is the same thing, as I said, with Judge Dredd. I mean, with the the Dredd movie with Carl Urban. Warzone is... A Punisher comic book brought to life. If you like the 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 over the violence, you like the gross uh, uh, scenes, you like you know Punisher like it is in like the most graphic of the Punisher comic books. Warzone is the movie for you. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I I have to admit, I wasn't a huge huge fan of Warzone. I thought it was okay. Um, I think a good movie would be uh, a a kind of a melding of Warzone and the Thomas Zane, uh, Jane uh, Punisher, you know, toned down a little bit and using more of the you know actually humanity uh, that I thought Thomas Jane brought to uh, Punisher. I mean, honestly, the best Punisher we've had so far is John Berthenall, who was in the um, you know Netflix series. Yeah. He really nailed it. And I thought it gave it a nice melding of the two. I think Warzone's uh, definitely uh, fun. And I do want to give a shout-out to Mr. Wayne Knight. He played Micro in Warzone. And as far as I'm concerned, so far, he's the best Micro I've seen. Um, Plus also, in the comic books, Micro is a fat man. We gotta get more fat people, you know, you know, jobs in, 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 in the comic book world. Coming from a fat man myself. Just saying. I think Micro has to be a fat man. I support that to the fullest. Yes. Friend. So if anyone's doing another Punisher movie and they're looking for a new Micro, I'm throwing my hat into the ring. I'm down with that, Holmes. 
I agree with you. You said a lot of good things. You know, I, the Stallone, the thing you said about it being a Stallone movie instead of a Judge Dredd movie, I think you hit that fucking right on the head. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think uh, I also think that the fact that to go into to go deeper into that, um, you know, the other the, the reboot of Dread was more more action. The action was more the star of the film. You know what I mean? Has like that raid vibe to it, which the raid uh, was a, like a kung fu uh, almost exploitationy film that came out at the, around this time. I think a lot of films grabbed. I think Garrett Evans, I think, directed it. I could be wrong. Then um, he, it t- a lot of films pulled from the inspiration because it was so fast paced. You know, every now and then in the action world, you know, you, you come up with, you know, we came up in the in the 80s and 90s where action was kind of the deal. You know, Jean-Claude Van Damme's and all that. And uh, you see action, we, we kind of seen a point where action uh, kind of took backseat to style or story uh, late in later years. And then you had films like The Raid, they kind of popped on the scene and brought action back in a big way. I kind of think that you know when 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 Stallone did the 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 the, the first reboot, uh, rather or the John Rambo addition to the Rambo, I thought that was really good too. Um, and it was super violent, which is what everybody wanted to see from a Rambo film. Um, so like he did get on that one, but that's more he cared more about his own property. I think that was the case with that. Because he owns Rambo. John Rambo is very close to Mr. Sly Stallone. But, yeah, I think it's... Uh, action's a weird genre that goes up and down. Um, sometimes it loses tr- loses track of the fact that it's an action movie. And the people are there because they want to see that fast-paced, you know, the action. You know what I mean? The exciting shit. And um, I think Dread was bringing some of that... At, making more... Pushing action to the forefront front of the picture instead of just kind of sprinkling it in, you know what I mean? And uh, to go with the Sly Stallone deal. What's your take on, you know, with Thomas Jane and the Travolta thing? I know Thomas Jane was kind of a name, not a super big name, but, like, do you think that they have to make a negotiation almost and say, okay, the director goes, I don't want a superstar for this fucking, this role. And they go, oh, we need to sell the movie. And he goes, no, the, the star of it, he can't be fucking every every action movie. He can't be that dude. He's got to be something a little different. And they go, well, we'll negotiate with you to the degree. We'll give you this person, but you need to make the villain a gigantic name. Do you think that that's what happens in the situations? I mean, it could be. I mean, I don't know any of the behind the stories um, of, of that movie, so I can't. So you, didn't you work on The Punisher? Were you John Travolta's Yeah, I was John Travolta's uh, stunt double. Um, cock double. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, could be, could be. I mean, it, it's... The thing is that John Travolta would have been fine in the role if the editor didn't... I mean, I don't know whether it's the editor or director. Someone decided to like really push the focus of on, on to John Travolta, which I mean, heck, anyone who's seen Broken Arrow, I think John Travolta is a great villain in that, and he can definitely be a villain. And I think Thomas Jane is a great actor, and I think he had the um, the the talents and the charisma 
to really pull it off. I thought he was a great-looking Punisher. I thought he gave a lot of good, uh, you know, depth and, and feeling to the character. But the way it was shot and the way it was edited together, I felt like I was sitting down watching a John Travolta movie about a guy who just had a family. He he really loved his son who, who died, and then he went after, you know, the guy who killed his son. I mean, that's the movie that, that they made. Yeah. Which is a fine movie, but it's not a fine movie if it's called The Punisher and... And you're supposed to be this ruthless uh, gangster who then, you know, massacres his entire family. I, um, I heard but, Taco, Taco Bell has a new burrito called The Punisher. <laughs> yeah, That's Punisher. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, that's how I felt watching the movie. I was like, I'm watching a John Travolta movie with a guy who's running around pretending to be the Punisher. I mean, it was... It just felt so disjointed to me. I would rather have seen The Boy in the Plastic Bubble Part 2 with John Travolta. Now, moving into our next film, Alexander the Hawk. I'm going to let you take this one. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. You did a great job with it, too. That. I can feel it. All right. The next, uh, uh, next one we have is Casino Royale. Woo! With Daniel Craig. Now, I mean, I've seen a lot of different uh, James Bond movies over the years. Um, I mean, I enjoy him as kind of like uh, you want to put on a, an action film, sort of toss it on. Um, am I a, a big James Bond fan? I would never say that. Because I always thought his character for the most part, never really was utilized or fleshed out as much as he should be. And Casino Royale, in my opinion, really, really was able to do that. And I, I love that movie. Now, the Daniel Craig movies uh, is James Bond. We can argue um, whether they've gotten worse over the years or whether there's some more gems in it, but Casino Royale, in my opinion, is the best Daniel Craig movie that has come out, and could also be argued to be the best uh, James Bond movie. Now, I will always have a soft spot for Sean Connery, Mm -hmm. because, you know, he was the first, and he really had, you know, that debonair and, and, and suave feel about him. And I also like Timothy Dalton, who only did Bond for two movies, but I, I think he could have done more. And Pierce Brosnan, also another good one. But I think Daniel Craig really, with Casino Royale and him as Bond, really just elevated the story and the franchise. Really made it, you know, made it good. Yeah, I, I really liked it, and you know his. His chemistry with Eva Green, I thought, really worked well. So, yeah, I mean, Casino Royale, I think, is definitely one of the best uh, James Bond reboots. Definitely recommend anyone who has a scene. And Mads Mikkelsen is a perfect James Bond villain. And another thing I liked about it is that he didn't go over the top. Some James Bond villains can't help but, you know, twirl that mustache and be, you know, 
ridiculous, but it just worked in that film. That's true. Um, I got a couple. We got Fright Night. Do you ever see the reboot of Fright Night? No, I know Colin Farrell's uh, in there and Anton Yelchin, I believe. Yeah, it's um, yeah the late great Anton Yelchin, you know, from uh, Green Room, we were talking about before the show. Um, real sad. That's such a weird, tragic, sad case. The Anton Yelchin deal. That dude was like on top. You almost forget about him, which is sad. You know what I mean? Um, dude was on top of the fucking world in the freak accident. I believe he parked his car. And then he, he walked over to the gate where he was opening the gate to get out of his driveway and the car, which they later recalled those cars for having bad, like, um, safety brakes or something like that, emergency brakes. And I guess when he was walking to the gate, the car rolled, started rolling and uh, pin- pinched him in between the gate and the car and killed him, which is, like, horrifying. Um, you know, it's, it's going out is bad enough. But I got to assume going out over a freak accident, like something like that, in the peak of you living your best life, got to make things a little more difficult when you're saying goodbye to those last breaths, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, the re- the Fright Night, uh, the Fright Night reboot, I thought was really good, you know what I mean? And the Colin Farrell thing, this was right when Colin Farrell was coming back. There was, like we, I've said on the show before, um, there was a time, like the SWAT era and previous, when I, 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 I'd get annoyed by seeing Colin Farrell on the television. There was something on, on screen, there was something about him I just didn't jive with. And then he had a falling, uh, a falling situation where, like, he almost died, I believe. I think, yeah, they found him overdosed in a in a hotel room. Um, I believe it was like a bunch of things. The heaviest thing, I think, he had cocaine on in him. Uh, I remember they listed weed of the the drugs in him in his system, which. If they're if they're listing weed, they're kind of pulling pulling uh, hair pulling hair is literally pulling hair fiber, fiber yeah. molecules to find out what you got in your system. But they're really pulling everything um, just to go. Oh, look at this! But he had that fall. He that fall from grace. He disappeared for a little bit, and then he returned with like um, horrible bosses, which I thought was a great move for him. He returned with this fright night great move he did um he got into partnership with um i forget the director's name but the dude who did the killing of a sacred deer and the lobster um f- great films films that i when i seen them i said eh, i'm not gonna bother with them i'm not a gigantic fan of the actor you know um and they look, it's like, it looks like stylized Hollywood, which there is a difference between stylized Indian, stylized Hollywood. And usually stylized Hollywood is just really trying to copy stylized indie, and it doesn't play as well. But these films played really well as stylized. They're A24 spectaculars, you know what I mean? Like, A24 is the kings of doing stylized horror on a big budget. Um and that, that that was that was the case with that. So yeah, so Colin Farrell, you know, in Fright Night. That's why you know Chris Aranda has a small cameo in it, and I can't quite remember if the other, if uh, if Charlie has a cameo in it or, or Evil or um, uh, Marcy Darcy from Married with Children uh, has a cameo or not. I'm sure they're in there somewhere. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Fright Night. You know what I mean? I thought it was cool. Uh, and Piranha 3D, 
You know what I mean? You remember that? That was kind of a fun one, too. Uh, it was goofy fun, but I got a good laugh out of it. I got a good laugh out of it. It was a in a world you had Alexandra Aja uh, di- uh, directing. I believe Eli Roth produced it. Um, very fun film. You're not supposed to take it incredibly serious, Hawkman. Uh, this is the first one. The second sequel, the 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 three double D was a little too much. Um, respect to the director because I enjoy the director, John. The, uh, you know what I mean, but uh, what can you do? You know what I mean. But yeah, I thought that the I, f- I thought the original reboot 3D was fun for what it was. It was 3D, gigantic sucker for 3D at the time. You know what I mean. That was my shit. Big fan of the 3D, but I know that you're not a fan of those films, so you don't even have to comment on them. Whoa, whoa, you know? hold on, hold on. I, I'm a fan of the. Uh, uh, Corman's original Bron. I like that movie. I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, and I understand and agree with you that, yeah, they, they took it, they had fun with it, they, you know, went over the top, um, which is fine. Uh, it's just that, and I, I have to admit, I, I was a big fan of the Roger Corman uh, Piranha. I thought it was a really, uh, probably is, is one of my favorite guilty pleasures of Roger Corman's. I, uh, for whatever reason, I really like that movie. And the other one's kind of just like, eh, they're, they're okay, but I I can't, I can't say in my mind that they're good reboots. I, I think they're just... Okay, but that's about it. Piranha, great, awesome film, awesome horror film. I love it. Well, Piranha, Piranha is the way that it's shot with the Piranha, like the close-ups and stuff, and the way they look. You'll, they'll, you, you'll never be able to escape how great that first Piranha movie is on an exploitation, low-budget horror level. It, it's it's kind of can't be reproduced. It's just great for what it is. Now, the sequel, you directed the sequel? Um, not off the top of my head. A little director that didn't really go anywhere in life. His name was called James Cameron. Okay. Uh, yeah, I never heard that guy. Yeah, and for we, you know, and for he's always hitting us up to be on the Boombastic cast. He sends gifts and, and all the all types of shit to us. Trying, to, he says, "I made this one movie, Piranha Two, and I never did anything else. Can you guys please have me on the show to talk about it?" And he's a good guy, so we take his gifts and respond to his emails and stuff. And one of these days, we'll get him. We'll put him on the show. But uh, we, I said, all we can do for you is give you an idea for a movie. You should do a movie about a cyborg that comes back from the future to kill, to kill off the, the, the mother of a soon-to-be futuristic fucking army Jesus. I don't know why you, you know, leading the rebellion. Um, you should call it Terminator. You should, you know, I, I like Isle Schwarzenegger. You should put him in it and he should have a line where he goes, I'll be back. And he should wear sunglasses to protect his one red eye. And he said, uh, I'll see what I can do with that. That's all you can ask. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah, director. Yeah, like I said, I mean, uh, I think they're okay. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan, but I mean, like I said, in my case, I really like the original. 
So that's going to... And like the old saying, a lot of times the you can't beat the original. In my opinion, you can't. And I think uh, they made a fun attempt to, you know, play on the idea, but it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I don't think I would say it beat the original. I don't think they're even trying to beat the original. That's how different... They're very different vibes. You know, the first one... Corman's movie is actually scary. Like, it actually makes you... It has that Jaws effect where it's almost like, nah, I don't want to fuck with... I don't want to... Like, the idea of... The Piranha is almost worse than Jaws in a way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it was Corman's response to Jaws or whatever. You know, that's good. Or maybe it was... I, don't, I wonder what, which one came first, actually. I should probably have that in my head. They're both, like, late 70s, I believe. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I do think Piranha is scarier than Jaws. Yeah, it's definitely scarier, and the reboot of it is so tongue-in-cheek, it's ridiculous. Like, super-duper tongue-in-cheek. Doesn't take itself serious. Um, right from the be- the very beginning, with fucking the Richard Dreyfus cameo, you know what I mean? It's, like, so comedic. That's what, you know, Ale- like I said, Alexander Aja directed it. You know, he did High Tension. I think he did Mirrors before this, which wasn't... I should rewatch it. I remember it wasn't that... It wasn't a big success uh, like he would like it to have been. You know, he did later have a success with um, another reboot that I thought was really good, which was um, The Hills Have Eyes. Alexander Aja is the, the same dude who gave us The Hills Have Eyes, which I thought was a really good reboot. Arguably, you know, the Wes Craven one is, is a classic. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, but I do that. But but Aja's uh, Hills Have Eyes is like Wes Craven's on like on fucking methamphetamines or something. You know what I mean? It's a lot faster pa- faster paced. Um, arguably, maybe a little even more 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 darker in tone. And the first one's really dark. Um, it's weird, uh, you know, you know, to to be able to give it a full, a full evaluation. I feel like I'd have to have been able to have seen the original with an audience when it came out to see how it affected people. Because by the time I seen it, it was I was a little desensitized to stuff like that. By the time I seen it, so like it was still kind of shocking and such, but not as much. And I thought that. Um, the reboot of The Hills Have Eyes had equally as shocking moments for, like, a newer audience. Are you familiar with the reboot or the original? Well, I mean, I'm familiar in the fact that, you know... In the I, biblical. Are you familiar in the biblical sense? In the biblical sense, no. I did not watch either either one. I'm, I'm sorry. I know I have to turn in my horror card on that one. Oh, you, don't worry, buddy. You don't even have one to turn in. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. The horror world loves uh, Alex yeah. Hawk. They love Alex. They keep giving him rolls because they love him. Dinner rolls. Since we're talking horror, you want to pop into our next, our next horror film? Sure. Uh, the next one would be, I believe, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, from two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah, I mean. Um, I did see this movie. I did see the original also. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, it was directed by Snyder, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah, written by James Gunn. 
Oh, I didn't realize James Gunn wrote it. Well, James Gunn was kicking around as a writer for you for some years before he got that chance to start directing, in the big way at least. Well, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Dawn of the Dead. I think it was a lot of fun. Definitely rec- uh, uh, recommend anyone checking it out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the tough thing is to say whether it's better than the original. I I will kindly I will say that both of them, uh, in my opinion, are about equal in the in the thing is both of them went in different directions but i like them the same i guess is is the best way for me to say it yeah um yeah i don't think uh i don't think the uh 2004 is better than the original but i don't think the original is better than the 2004 one i think both of them both of them have different uh Styles and different um, fields, but I like both of them. Now, I think this was for, for Gun. I think this was right. This was right before the Scooby Doo movies, and the Scooby Doo movies were right before this, one way or the other. And this was, but he was. This is at a time where he was popping as a writer before he started getting the director's chair, like I said. But uh, I had to go with you. This and the original. I, I enjoy them both a lot. Very uh, different tones, completely. You know what I mean. Uh, the way that it should be, I feel like, I feel like whenever you see like a direct kind of exact telling of a story, like you take like a Psycho, which I, you know, Gus Van Sant Psycho is I think the most laziest filmmaking of all time because <laughs> he literally just copied the same exact film shot for shot with new actors, and he claims that he did that because the first one's so perfect, but if it was that perfect, then don't do it. I mean, I guess if you go back to what I I said before about, you know, theaters where, you know, you got so many different times people have done, you know, the Christmas Carol and and all those where you have different actors playing the same roles that other people have played many times before. And you can argue that, but... But again, then again, I mean, you can watch one uh, uh, one theatrical production of The Christmas Carol, and you watch another one, and while they're saying the same lines, they're going over the same spots and all that, one's going to automatically be better than the other, in your own personal opinion. And, you know, in that case, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's one, you know, of course, totally blows away. Gus Van Sant's. I mean, the biggest thing is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy Vince Vaughn, but he was so miscast in that movie. I Yeah, I like Vince Vaughn a lot, actually. I'm actually a big fan, and I can almost, the Vince Vaughn aspect, that, that's not what, I can almost, I can, that's not my least favorite part of the film, let's just say. You know, there's a lot more things to not like about that movie than Vince Vaughn. Yeah, that's um, true. And Hayes is another one. And she exactly. She has a whole part in that. Exactly. Um, Gus Van Sant's one of those filmmakers. I almost want to put kind of in the category of Darren Aronofsky in the sense of, um, even though I like Darren Aronofsky's films more, they're almost like when they get, when they're given a big budget on like a big studio film, it's always a bad move. They're more independent artistic style directors. And those are the films they should be making. Um, 
Gus Van Sant doing Psycho is definitely a big studio Hollywood film. Um, it was a big payday for him, I'm sure. He's done. There's so like to die for is fucking a masterpiece. I love to die for. Um, Drugstore Cowboy is good. My Own Private Idaho is good. You know what I mean? He's a good filmmaker. He did a movie called Elephant, which I think is fucking phenomenal. Um, he's a good filmmaker. It's just psycho in, in, a, in the big spot like that's not for him, I feel. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so the, in that sense, it was no good. But with Dawn of the Dead, going back into Dawn of the Dead, you know, this it was we had the running zombies were in this one, and I, you know, I that's it, that's a good question for any horror fan to have the running zombie versus the walking zombie debate because I can see both. Like, yeah, the when Romero did it with them walking, and Romero's the man, the king of it all. Much love and respect, and rest in peace to Romero. You know, his zombies, they walked and they were scary and they had that lumbering. It was more realistic because they're just coming back from the dead. Where the, In Dawn of the Dead, it was more like a virus type thing, which is very, you know, common with the current times. Um, and it's a breakout and they can run. And realistically, you'd rather deal with a walking zombie than a running zombie any day of the week. You know what I mean? The Romero zombies, you if they, it's slightly more scary because of this, if you get if you're tra- if you're surrounded by five that are moving slowly, I feel like you can fight them off longer, but they'll eventually get you. Whereas in you can't really fight off uh, Zack Snyder zombies; they just you know cover you up and you'd be dead in a, f- in a few minutes. Whereas in you'd get exhausted pushing faces away. You know what I mean? The face is going to bite you. They're not really aggressive zombies, so you're just kind of, you'd be like pushing one away while trying to push the one behind you and squirm out of the grasp of another one, you know what I mean? Which would be exhausting and more scary, because it would be prolonged death, whereas in the quick zombie, it'd be quicker. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I agree with that, and actually, I think the big thing that makes the, uh, slow, uh, uh, Romero zombie scarier. Yeah, is that it gives you a chance to be cocky. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Be- because I mean, here you got the like he says three or four, you know, slow moving zombies. You're like, oh, I go up, I stab them, no biggie. But then, then you know, more show up, and then they're slowly on. And every time you think, oh, you know, this is easy, I can get rid of them. Then there's more. And with the fast-moving zombies, well, in essence, they'll be on you quicker. They'll kill you quicker. And also the fact is that they also get, they do give you one extra chance that the other ones don't, and that is when you see them, you know you start to run. Yeah. When you see the slow zombies, you have a tendency to be like, this one or two, I'll take care of them. And then all of a sudden, three or four Five and six and seven and eight. When the Zack Snyder zombies are coming out, there's a horde of, of, of crazy zombies running at you. You're right. not thinking, oh, I'm going to try to shoot them off. You're thinking, I'm running as fast as I can to get the fuck out. Truth. But with the slow-moving zombies, which is used a lot in, in the movies, is you're like, oh, I can take care of these. And then when, when you're busy that, then you get caught by the three or four that are creeping up behind you because you stay around to take care of the threat instead of trying to book out of it. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if more people during those kind of zombie movies saw the zombies and just ran, they'd live longer. But sure. they die quicker because they're like, well, we got to take care of this. So we kill a few zombies and then before you know it, they're swarmed. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, next up, we have kind of a triple header. Triple header. Uh-oh. Yeah, with uh, The Magnificent Seven from 1960. Now, The Magnificent Seven is like an offshoot remake of uh, Akira Kurosawa's 1953 classic, Seven Samurai, which you talk to a lot of folks that, you know, consider that to be the film. You know, in in film discussion throughout my days, I've talked to uh, more than my fair share of people that said that was their favorite film. Um, Life Lessons and Beautiful Things are all in it. You know, Kurosawa is one of those directors that uh, fucking iconic. You know what I mean? Like, up there, you got Kurosawa, Hitchcock, Fellini. You know what I mean? These are uh, the names, the uh, iconic names. You know what I mean? Now, not only does it have uh, the ties to Seven Samurai kind of being the original, um, you know, the, the the official remake would be uh, the version that we talk about in the 1960 version with Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen, uh, child, young Charles Bronson in there, which is always good. James Coburn, Robert Vaughn, um, classic stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, great film, you know, I put it right up there with uh, The Wild Bunch, you know, which I fucking love. Another Western I love. I kind of put them, The Magnificent Seven had a sequel in its, its own right. This movie had a sequel, if not two. I think it had The Return of the Magnificent Seven or something like that. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, then they did a remake. 2016. Uh, Denzel Washington and and your friend Vincent D'Onofrio. My boy Vin, Vinny D was in it, yeah. In 2016, directed by um, the Equalizer director. Uh, yeah. What's his name? I forget off the top of my head. I remember you were a big fan of the reboot. I don't think I, I got I, a chance to see it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. The current uh, 2016 version. Yeah, I enjoyed Fuqua. it. Anthony Fuqua, my boy Anthony Fuqua, directed it. Well, anyway, um, that uh, the uh, the remake with you know um, as, uh, with uh, Denzel and, and all, all those was fun. Uh, but it definitely isn't better than the original. I mean, the uh, original with Yul Brenner, I think, is a lot better. Yeah. I definitely lo- love that movie. Uh, now, The Seven Samurai, I have to admit, I have not seen it. I'll let you borrow uh, it. Yeah, I'll let you borrow it next time I see it, or we'll watch it together. It is that I have faith from, because I, while I have not seen it, I've seen clips, I've seen like segments of it. Yeah. Uh, never got around to actually watch the full movie, and I kind of put it in the same in in the category that I don't think Magnificent Seven is a better remake or reboot. I think both of them are extremely good versions of the same story. I kind of look at the same way as Hold On to Your Butts, yeah. Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Fast and the Furious the first movie, because Fast and the Furious is point break just with cars. Right, no, I'm with and you. It's the exact same story, exact same plan, and, and all that. And that's why I always appreciate the first Fast and the Furious movie. The other one, uh, the, re- uh, the sequels and all that, you know, they're ludicrous. Um, 
What but the original concept, I mean, that's another thing, is that I I give a lot of credit to reboots and remakes where they take an original concept, original idea, and they tweak it a bit. In this case, instead of being in Japan, dealing with samurai and the samurai culture, they're doing with American cowboys using a lot of the same kind of ideas. And I think that kind of because a lot of times you have people that are like looking at like, oh, you know what? Uh, this movie that came out of Japan, love the movie, but this make an American version. And the American version usually doesn't hold the candle because there's a lot of things that are lost in translation. When you're taking a film from another country, another culture, and trying to bring it into our culture. And the transition of the Seven Samurai into the Magnificent Seven is one of the times where I think it works. Yeah, I agree with that. You know what I mean? Did you see Gone in 60 Seconds? That was a reboot. I did. I do love that movie. I mean, heck, it's Nicolas Cage, huge Cage. Yeah, that was fun. I'm Uh, a Cage maniac. Giovanni Ribsby there. I I'm a, I love Giovanni Ribsby there and everything I see him do. There's there's something about the I love his look. I love his nervous acting like vibe. Like his, he's got that like come that nervous actor gimmick type deal. Um, I I would I, ever since the first time I ever seen him on screen, I wanted to, I want you know I've liked him and I, and he's a dude I'd love to work with. That'd be the bomb diggity. He'd be a good get good guest for the show. He's doing a show right now. He's a star of some show on like uh, some maybe streaming, like a Netflix or an Amazon show or something like that. Yeah. Uh, ne- next up, we have quite possibly my favorite remake of all time. Um, quite possibly my favorite sci-fi horror film of all time. That is 1982's. Another thing that you could go into almost. You know, the other they did a prequel later. Um, but John Carpenter's The Thing, 1982, oh, golly. Um, you want to talk about movies with special effects that are incredible? You go watch The Thing. Carpenter's The Thing, the effects in John Carpenter's The Thing are better effects than anything. I still say anything you'll see today because it was real and it looked fucking incredibly real. Oh, yeah. I remember you know I mean? when I first saw that, I have to admit, I think I was scarred. Uh, it's one of the one of the reasons why I I didn't really get into horror movies till later in life because I remember catching I I think it was on like late night TV or something. I ended up watching it and I was like, oh my god! I had like nightmares for like a month afterwards. It's horrifying, you know, because it taps into kind of a fear. Like, I remember it came out around the time as E.T. came out, and there was a weird thing because E.T. came out, and it was this big, big, happy alien movie where everybody was like, oh, E.T. is so cute and friendly. And then this came out, and it was like the complete opposite of E.T., where it's like the enemy. This This is showing the, this is the fears of everybody is what, you know, everybody wants to believe that E.T. is what would, what we would be dealing with. And nobody wants to think about the thing being the aliens that we'd have to deal with. You know what I mean? And I don't blame anybody. I wouldn't want to deal with the thing. Uh, yeah, no you know, one wants to deal with the thing, but unfortunately with the way 
everything is set up. The thing is definitely what we might end up being. The thing is the thing, baby. Carpenter's always ahead of his time. You know, take They Live as well. Um, you know, so the, the Thing was originally a 1951 movie called The Thing from Another World, which if anybody sees that, it's like an alien that looks like Frankenstein. You know what I mean? Um, a fun film. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, Carpenter's is great. You know, it came out right around the time of the AIDS crisis. You know, so like that scene where they're testing blood. Uh, which is a very famous scene, you know, that has a whole new, new, new vibe with the AIDS, you know, with that AIDS deal. But it's super, uh, it's, it's super good, man. It's fucking, it's great. And then they did the prequel later in life, which I think they knew they couldn't, couldn't fuck with it, uh, doing a reboot of it, a second reboot. Well, I mean, the thing is what I, the, 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 what I appreciated and what I didn't appreciate about the prequel is this. I like the prequel in the fact that it ta- because if you remember in the uh, original movie, they end up stumbling upon a camp that dealt with this thing earlier. Yeah. And the prequel's about that camp and everything that led up to it. So you kind of already know that, unfortunately, you know, all the shit's going to go down. Mm. Now, for I watched a kind of behind-the-scenes discussion on that movie. The prequel, that is. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that they said was they wanted to do it as as practical like the original thing. And they did. And then the dreaded producers got involved. Oh, yeah. And the producers decided that while they had all this great you know, uh, practical effects, hey, this put CGI over the practical. So if you're watching and you're watching the prequel, you all, all I see is, oh, they're doing all CGI. But the fact is, they spent the money and the time to do practical and, and would have looked a lot better, better as practical, but some bean counter was like, well, you know what? Um, I don't think it really works. This this a uh, hedge of bets, and you know, put some CGI on this, and it doesn't work. You know, make make your plan. You're either going to go practical or CG. If you combine the both, use them to complement each other, not to try to hide the original concept. Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, thing definitely is a classic. It'll live on forever, and uh, definitely is another one where they took an idea that was kind of laughable, kind of like okay B movie, and then they they improved it. See, that's those are the kind of movies we need to remake. Ones that are you know good ideas, are interesting concepts that. During the time they were made, they were either done on the cheap because it was considered a B-movie, or they just didn't have the technology to do it right. Take those movies and reboot those. Don't reboot, you know, films that everyone knows and everyone loves. If you're going to do that, do something different. You might end up irritating people or upsetting people, but if you're going to do a reboot, do something different with it. Otherwise, yeah. what's the point? I'm hearing you. 
Yeah, I know I'm with you, homie. I agree completely. Uh, next up on the docket, we got 1983, the year of my birth, Scarface, the Brian Del Palma film written by Oliver Stone, starring your boy Al Pacino. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Scarface got to be one of the most iconic films of all time, exploited to the nth degree. Um, it's one of those movies that it's like people watch it so much they start to hate on it. I think I love it. I I I've watched it a lot, and I still think it's a fucking awesome masterpiece of, of crime film. You know what I mean? Like fantastic crime cinema. It's fucking a masterpiece. Um, yeah. It got played out definitely in certain things. Like I know the hip hop community in the early two thousands. You couldn't you couldn't go in any any every MTV Cribs episode. They had the fucking poster Scarface going. Everybody wanted to be Tony Montana. Yeah. We've often thought of, talked about this on the show before. Everybody wanted to be Tony Montana. They must not have watched the whole movie. You know what I mean? Uh, doesn't end that well for Mr. Montana. You going to say something, Mr. Hawk? Yeah. Uh, I mean, heck, I remember going to college and, like, every dorm room uh, on the guy's floor had a, a Scarface poster or something Scarface-related somewhere. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Scarface, I have to admit, I have not seen the original one, so I can't say much of that. Um, I definitely appreciate and like the uh, one they do. And, yes, I know that those who probably watch it right now are, like, um, I'll be, uh, you know, ripping it apart because of the fact that you have... Um, White actors playing Cuban actors, which I understand. And, yeah, it would be interesting. Now, if someone was to remake Scarface, okay, I mean, I'd be interested in that for the fact that, don't get me wrong, I think Al Pacino, I thought everything was done well. But it'd be interesting to see it with more of a Cuban idea or bent behind it. Okay. I, think re- I think they're doing another one with, with DiCaprio as Tony Montana last time. See, I've heard that. That, that. I mean, I mean, I mean that that's that's ridiculous. I mean, I mean the thing is that if you're going to remake something like um, Scarface uh, from the uh, from good old uh, uh, El Pacino Scarface, then you know. Try to have it a little more, like I said, bring in some Cuban actors, have them, you know, try and try that. I mean, I think the movie's very well done, and of course, people are going to just, you know, complain about the fact that, you know, it's whitewashing again, which is true, which was a problem at that time. Yeah. But you still can't uh, ignore the fact that it was a really well done movie, well acted. I mean, El Pacino is is one of the best actors that we've had, and I think he just did a great job in that role. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, you know, 1932 Howard Hawks film was the original, and it's actually a really good film. I have it. I've seen it. If you want to watch it sometime, you're over. Um, we can watch it. Um, I actually, in an earlier film of mine, there's a there's a uh, within the scar that the original Scarface Howard Hawks and every time every scene that a person's killed in, if you look, you can see an X somewhere in the frame. 
And I thought that was cool. And I did that in one of my earlier films. And I got, yeah, I thought that was a super cool deal. But yeah, the original is really cool. And if you watch the original and the reboot, I mean, they are, it, you can tell outside of it just being named the same. You know what I mean? So it's kind of cool to see that vibe of it made, you know, in the 30s and then like an 80s version. You know what I mean? The up and the upgrade that it takes. You know what I mean? Um, I think, you know, this was the originals more, you know, mobby, mafia underbelly type stuff. And this is, you know, Stone, Oliver Stone wrote it for the Times and made it a real made it about cocaine you know, and, uh, you know, uh, people immigrating over here and getting like caught up in that life. You know what I mean? That's the story of Tony Montana, uh, the American dream, but like the underground American dream where the dream's real, I guess. Who's to say, but, uh, yeah, this has been this talk. They've always talked about rebooting this. It's one of those deals. Um, but I love it. I think it's one of the greatest crime movies ever made to this day. I still think so. Uh, and the original is pretty good too. Howard the Hawks is a cool filmmaker too, because he was like a rich dude that was just an eccentric millionaire weirdo type dude that uh, made some films that were really good. You know what I mean? It's an interesting thing. He, Howard Hawks is a very interesting fucking cat. You know what I mean? He's an interesting dude. Um, next up, we have Heat. You want to talk about Heat? Sure. I mean, I do have to admit, I did not realize that this was a reboot. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, Heat is its a phenomenal movie. I, I think it's really well done. I uh, You got two heavyweights. You got El Pacino and Robert De Niro. I do have to say it was funny, the fact that at this time, El Pacino and Robert De Niro hated each other. So when they have that one scene, one scene together talking to uh, at at the cafe, neither one of them were there when the other one was. Yeah. And um, but it still worked. And I think the movie was very well done. Love it. Um, I, I like I said, I didn't know it was a reboot uh, or a remake. I would definitely uh, now want to see what it was based off of. So it can compare whether it's truly better than the original. I, it's one of the few movies I actually liked Val Kilmer in. Yeah, I'm not a big Val Kilmer fan, but um, other than that, plus also, I mean, El Pacino, I he 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 really you know owns 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 that movie. Same thing with Robert De Niro, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Al Pacino. What can I say? I think I brain farted before, but I said the Ho- Howard Hawks is the director. Howard Hughes is the millionaire eccentric. I lost my mind for a second there. I, I knew while I was saying it, I said this don't sound right. I'm giving somebody too much credit here. Um, and yeah, he's a, he, yeah. Howard Hawks was a filmmaker that did like Rio Bravo and stuff like that. And uh, I know John Carpenter was hugely influenced uh, by, uh, by by Hawks. Uh, he also did, like, uh, man, I think he also had, no, John Ford did Stagecoach, but he did, um, yeah, he was killing at that time. He was one of those dudes. 
But Heat is a phenomenal film, dude. Michael Mann directed. Uh, I knew that there was a movie before it, but I'd never seen it. Um, I love Heat. Heat's one. Heat is very um, to go back to um, your what would uh, fucking I'm losing my mind, dude. The one with um, Ghost with uh, Patrick Swayze. You were just talking a prison, uh, not prison. Point Break. Point Break. Oh, great. You know, okay. He has a very yeah, Point Break okay. vibe to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, who directed Point Break? Did Michael Mann direct Point Break? That's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to check that out. I could almost see that being a reality. But uh, they, they both they have a very f- f- similar vibe. Um, you got, you know, this was, you, you got Al Pacino and De Niro going back and forth, which is funny, though. From what I hear, they were never actually on screen together at all. Not the airport stuff, not them at the table, because they only have those two kind of sit-downs, you know what I mean? If I remember correctly, it was body doubles. They were never there at the same time, and it was just like the body doubles, the side of the head type shit. Um, No, like, no actual in-person type deal. Yeah, actually, uh, a point break was done by Catherine Bigelow. Oh, the great Catherine Bigelow, yes, of like Hurt Locker and Near Dark fame, if I remember correctly. Uh, she's great, but yeah, you know, Heat's fantastic, fucking great movie, one of my favorite action movies from the 90s, you know, Val Kilmer's so gangster with those fucking, the masks, they're wearing those, uh, the hockey mask, the Jason type, like, uh, like Friday the 14th, Friday the 13th part four type Jason mask, uh, it was super cool. Um, everything about Heat's really cool. Yeah, I think there was a director's cut released recently on Blu-ray that I haven't seen, which I should pick up. But I have, I've seen the original theatrical. I own it on multiple versions, and it's uh, it's great. It's one of the last movies. It was around the time that uh, Bobby D decided he didn't want to actually try anymore. You know what I mean? Um, then he, you know, he tried a little bit for Silver Linings Playbook, and he tries from, from time to time. Bobby D tries, and I can say that because huge fan um when i first started getting into film as wanting to be a filmmaker there was no the only other uh, alex hawk was the only other alec uh only other actor as high on the radar as bobby d you know what i mean but yeah heat's fantastic moving into the next film uh we have one of the co-stars of heat al pacino with uh, the man the myth the legend the late great uh hero of alexander hawk robin the williams yeah, uh, that's Insomnia. Actually, I didn't realize, but it's actually a, a remake reboot of uh, a Norwegian uh, film. Yes. And, Nor- yeah. And uh, I haven't seen the Norwegian one, so I can't say, um, you know. And, of course, I mean, like I said before, when you're taking a film from a different culture, a different and then you, you know, uh, remake it in, in another culture that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I, like I said, without comparing the original, I can't say whether it um, is truly better, but uh, I know that I definitely enjoyed Insomnia. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean... Robin Williams is no uh, stranger when it comes to dramatic roles and all that. And and something happened at a time when he was trying to do more uh, like darker and crazier characters. 
Yeah. I mean, usually up to that point, I mean, he'd play, you know, dramatic roles, but usually more on the light side and, and you know, good side. And uh, him playing a true-out villain, uh, he just owned that. And then you got Al Pacino, you know, starting to lose his mind. The two of them just owned that movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've seen the Norwegian film. It's good. A good film. Criterion Collection put out a uh, put out an edition of it. Stellan Skarsgård, I believe, plays the Al Pacino role, um, and uh, kills it. Very dark. Skarsgård's an interesting actor, man. He can. There's a presence about him that's very dark. You know, what I mean, it's a very uh, and uh, you know, he just has that element to him. Now, Insomnia, I believe, was the one of the first times we we seen. Uh, Christopher Nolan, I don't know if, I, I think this might have been pre-Prestige. Um, he, his first thing yeah. he ever did was a short, I think it's a thing called The Following. And then he did, um, he had to have done something else, but I know The Prestige and this Insomnia were films. They were films that came out and they were films that I remember the stars were bigger than the name, his name. Like nowadays when a movie comes out, you're going to say the new Christopher Nolan movie. You know what I mean? These were movies that people were saying, oh, that new Robin Williams movie and Al Pacino movie. You know, that new, uh, you know, whatever, that new, uh, you know, well, at the time, Hugh Jackman, who I think is in The Prestige, he was kind of breaking, that was his, around his time he was breaking too, but it was more, they weren't saying Christopher Nolan films yet. You know what I mean? So I remember these both, both of those films being at that time. Which is kind of fun that we can remember a time when before Christopher Nolan was Christopher Nolan. And if you want to get really sad, Christopher Nolan's only like two years older than us, which is. Uh, oh, man. I'm going to. Hopefully, I think it might be a little more. But uh, yeah, Insomnia School, you know, the Alaskan thing. Um, I always find it fascinating how it's nighttime for like 30 days over there. I always thought that, you know, what an interesting, otherworldly type, weird inter-fucking-dimensional type situation. Um, so it always plays good to be a theme to a film. You know what I mean? Very dreary. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a good, it's, it has like a, a Lynchian vibe to it where it's just this dreary, you know, trying to figure out, uh, 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 you know, a disappearance type deal in the dreariest of places where it's just cold and dark and, you know, Cold, just as cold and dark as the story that, you, that, that it is, you know what I mean? Uh, it's great. It's a great character for the film. The darkness and the coldness become characters that are equally as important as the leading roles, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, Insomnia was a good flick, for sure. That came out right away. I remember Insomnia came out, and that one-hour photo kind of was his follow-up to it, Robert Williams-wise. It was either right before one hour photo or right after, but I remember these two movies came out at the same time, roughly. And uh, one hour photo is another movie much like this. I consider this to be like a, a plateau or a different, you know, get, getting to a different place in the career for Robin Williams doing insomnia as well as one hour photo. I thought was him going to a new world, new, a new realm. One hour photo more. So he really tapped into that fucking creep factor. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what I like about One Hour Photo more than this is that while while he go, does uh, do the creep factor, he does, you know, go to a very dark place. Yeah. 
you feel sorry for him. You can't help but, you know, emphasize you can... I mean, that's the thing about Robin Williams is that he has this ability to make you just love just love him no matter what, really. Um, in Insomnia, the thing is that he was able to, uh, in my opinion, the first time I really saw him play a dark, despicable character and kind of shut off any likability. Mm. And, I mean, uh, first uh, first thing we did on the show was 1080 on Robin Williams. Right. I know Insomnia made it on your list. Insomnia did not make it on mine. And the reason is that, not saying that he didn't do a good job in it, but... He was able to shut off the likability so much that I just couldn't connect with his performance. It's kind of like, you know, it's like you have, like, someone that you, you, you've grown to know and like, and, and you can see all the different facets, and then he does something that just puts you off. And then that that gives to a fact that he did a great performance in that, but it just puts me off to a point where I I couldn't invest in him. In one hour photo, I could invest in him, but as that character in Insomnia, I couldn't. I can hear you. I think that was part of the beauty of that role, though, as well. You know, I think that he, when watching Insomnia, I remember him being like, "This is kind of probably the most like." Robin Williams in a way like he's not over the top he's not being funny he's just kind of being a regular every every from memory I haven't watched it in a while but if memory serves me correctly he's he, he plays games with with Al Pacino yeah but for the most part he's very mild-mannered soft-spoken if I remember correctly he might have an outburst or two at points but for the most part it's the most it's kind of him playing very straight regular guy you know what I mean which is different from him especially for fans that want to see him be goofy or see him go dramatic. It was very middle of the road. Yeah, the the acting was more under the skin. You know what I mean? How we talk about stuff like that. But I like that. Like when we talk about DiCaprio, we were just talking about DiCaprio possibly doing Scarface. And I know you're not the biggest fan of DiCaprio, and I enjoy him. And I do think that his acting's more under the surface. You know, he doesn't really change up his look that much. You know what I mean? But I think that he does there's certain ticks and things that he does change about himself and every actor is different. You know what I mean? As you know. Um, but yeah, that's why I thought it was, it, it was definitely a weird. And I remember the time that it came out, it was, um, those two films, I think were a big, a big, I'd have to go look at the career to see, you know, I, I think those two films were big for him, but why they were big for him, I'd have to go take another peek, but I do feel the, I remember them being big at the time for him. Um, next up, you know, next up we have this little film called The Departed, which was shot in our backyard, man. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I mean, I really like The Departed. I did not see the, uh, the original one, uh, but, uh, I really like the style. I mean, you got Martin Scorsese. He's going to always knock out of the park. But he did do the the impossible. 
that no one else has been able to do actually make me care about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. Ain't that nice, man? Yep. I will give Marshall Scorsese credit on that. Um, I mean, you got a stellar cast. You got, you know, Jack Nicholson. You got uh, Matt Damon. You got so many great actors in this one film. And it all works. Everyone works well together. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, yeah. <laughs> The last few minutes at 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 the end of the the film, you know, just kept on. Especially when you see it the first time, you're not expecting how it ends. Well, it's a lot, it's a lot like a, like a Tarantino movie. It goes crazy in the end, and a lot of us took it from Japanese cinema. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and the, the the part it has a very Japanese cinema vibe to it, with all the different characters and stuff like yeah. that, which I thought was cool. You know. We love it for different reasons, of course, outside of it being great. The fact that it's a Boston film, um, and it's always beautiful when Marty comes to Boston. We hope he come. Well, I was just talking to Frankie yesterday, actually, Frankie and Magama, about coming on the show in the future to talk mob flicks and uh, to let him know, of course, as he ever comes back around, that we want to get on that set, even if it's just background, just to watch the man work for crying out loud. He came, he did Departed, he did Shutter Island. You know, I, I, I do not know why I didn't attempt to get background on these films. I want to say that I didn't cut it. <laughs> I want to say that at least I reached out to all the people that I knew at the time that I think could have hooked that up, and uh, it wasn't doable. Things could be better now uh, reaching out, but yeah, it's one of those deals, you know what I mean? But yeah, The Departed great flick i really good you know it's one of those movies that you know when you're and that came out at a a time right around the time i was like seriously getting into filmmaking um and it's interesting because around that time you know we never really talk about this and we should we should do an episode dedicated to this but it feels like when i started making started getting real serious about making films was around the time that we were seeing these Really cool films in Boston. Now you can say Goodwill Hunting was done a little earlier than these other films, but Goodwill Hunting was had a big impact on me because it was one of those films that it was in our city. You know, you'd see certain things in the film that you 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 grew up seeing. You know what I mean? So like that helped make it real. You know what I mean? Which was cool. And then later you would have like when Affleck did Gone Baby Gone in the town, which was around this time. You know, those are great movies. You know, people can say what they want to say about Affleck or whatever. I enjoy Affleck as an actor and a filmmaker. Um, and I like those those two movies I like a lot. Um, the Departed as well, Shutter Island. You know, this was a time, you know, I kind of, it's one of those things where you look back and you go, uh, you don't miss it until it's gone type deal. Like, we had a lot of really cool fucking movies that were being made locally at that time. That, you know, we weren't even thinking of it at the time, which I don't know why we weren't thinking of it, because you got two Scorsese films, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you know, that was a big era. That was a big time for Boston cinema, you know what I mean? I feel there's a lot of cool shit coming through. Um, and then, like, what's his name? Who is the other director who did, like, uh, American Hustle mm. and Joy? 
Yeah, I know. I he won an account. He did Silver Lining Playbook. Um, it'll come to me, but uh, you know, even that dude was coming around for a while. Um, supposedly he was given a copy of DJ Stan the Man from Frankie, which is nice. So if we see DJ Stan the Man star Christian Bale coming out soon, we should be worried. <laughs> um, He'll be Stan. Yeah. Uh, the funny book, yeah. I know that, I forget his name, the, the director, I, I remember had like, he got to get angry with an actress and that was an issue for him. He had, uh, he had, yeah. they recorded, recorded him having an argument with uh, some, yeah, you got it? Yeah, yeah, it's David O. Russell. Is David O. Russell, yeah. Did I when I said arguing with an actress? Is that what spawned uh, clicked in your head to go David O. Russell? No, no, no. I I was lazy. I looked it up. Yeah, we've had a couple. Even the dude that I want to say the director that did um, the Johnny Depp Black Mass movie was a decent director. Um, we've had, we've had some good uh, comedy directors come through too. When I did Here Comes the Boom, that was directed by the dude that fucking directed, like, The Waterboy and some other shit. So it was kind of cool to see him work. Um, uh, it wasn't so cool to see Kevin James work, uh, if you want to call it work. <laughs> Kevin James, uh, first of all, I'll say this. Never met the, well, I walked by him a couple times, but personally never met the dude. Never quite understood the, why people like King of Queens so much. Uh, never fully understood why people why he why he earned a spot in those Sandler movies. Uh, I never thought he was as funny as those people. Uh, I never, you know, he piggybacked on this film called Paul Blart Mall Cop that was originally an Alexander Hawk vehicle, and he pushed <laughs> he pushed Alexander Hawk out of the starring role, and they lowered him to a smaller role. You know. Yeah, um, a, a, a extra, yeah. I've heard, and I've heard numerous inside stories um, of the things that Mr. James likes to do when he's not on set. That, uh, you know, so I don't know. He's not exactly Kevin James. We would love to have him on the show, but we don't exactly like him. At least that's my standpoint. How, how, how do you feel about Kevin James? How do I feel about Kevin James? Well, I mean, technically, I mean, I've seen him. I, I haven't had a conversation with him. But uh, just the overall feeling on the, oh, the ones that I was on with him and just from what I've read, what I've, because, I mean, Kevin James has done a lot of films in Boston. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who were extras on those films. Yeah. And I have yet to find a person to say a good thing about Kevin James. So I, I've heard that, you know, I was on when we were on the set of Here Comes the Boom Malicious, it was uh, Kevin James. You know, some people say a smile goes a long way. You know what I mean? Sometimes you get more you get more with uh, sugar than you do with uh, fucking whatever shit. <laughs> But I will say this, I, and I, <laughs> I do agree. When an actor is on set, they're, they're in a. We all know how deep Kevin James, how deep into character Kevin James had to be to be a, a high school teacher by day, an MMA fighter by night. We know how heavy that was for him. Um, but I think that when you're on set, you can smile. When you're when you're in a gym, a gymnasium full of people, don't be afraid to smile. 
especially when you're smiling in the fucking role. It's not like you're doing a big dramatic scene. Um, but yeah, I agree. Everything I've ever heard from on set about Kevin James has been bad news. Offset stuff's pretty much bad news or, uh, or not so much bad news than just like, uh, you know, not so favorable. Um, but yeah, he's one of those dudes. And I remember my cousin was on Grown Ups, and, uh, they were talking to Chris Rock. And I remember Chris Rock, I believe it was Chris Rock, don't quote me, but I, it was one of the people where somebody asked where Kevin James was and he was he was in his trailer because he doesn't like to talk to the fans. You know what I mean? While they were all gallivanting, being cool. And I heard that whole grown-ups cast, every Sandler, Schneider, Spade, Rock, Lovitz. You know, I heard uh, all those people are like super cool fucking... It was a time and a place, dude. Like, where if you're doing a scene, you don't talk to the actor. But if there's downtime and, you know, they're setting up a shot and the dude's looking at his feet or whatever, and you want to, like, and you guys catch eyes and you want to smile, I think that he should be able to smile back at you. You know what I mean? Um, that's just my personal opinion. I think other people feel that way, too. But I don't know. Who's to say? We talk too much about Kevin, Kevin James. But I do want to rock into a few things here. Now, another film that I really love a lot that was a reboot is uh, another Martin Scorsese film. That's Cape Fear. You know what I mean? The Nick Nolte, Bobby De Niro project. Um, originally, it was Gregory Peck and uh, Robert Mitchum. You know what I mean? Which was, uh, they're both really cool flicks. You know, Scorsese, again, a master. Um, I believe he, Scorsese might have rebooted something else, too. But I could be wrong, though. Um, but I, yeah, I thought that was superb. I thought that was really good. I like Cape Fear. Have you seen the Cape Fear films? I've seen the, uh, the one with, uh, Bobby D. Yeah. Um, I have not seen the original, so I can't, uh, say much of that. I'm surprised. Um, I figured you would have been all over that. Yeah, I must have missed that one. I mean, it's, again, I'm... I can only assume that when uh, the the original uh, Cape Fear came out, that you know it probably did well, but it wasn't like a huge thing. Yeah. Which is another thing that I say is like you know there's a lot of great films out there that have yeah. been done, but either never got the recognition they deserve, or they they almost were a great movie. Like they had a great uh great premise, uh, great actors and all that, but just didn't make it. Yeah. And and those are the films I think people should remake. For sure. I mean I can I mean like I said before, I mean we did a uh, trailer talk about the upcoming Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago, the exact same style and setup that you have for the new Ghostbusters movie, I would have been extremely psyched about. But yeah. now I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't care. No. Because, I mean, everyone's just constantly going back to the well, and the changes are, okay, let's, you know, make them kids, or make them a women instead. Which, I mean, I'm totally for women-centric stories or even... But, you know, if 
why why does it have to be the Ghostbusters? Can't you take the same idea and just make it different? I mean, like Point Break and Fast and the Furious. It's the same movie, but they change instead of surfing, it's cars. Right. Okay? Instead of Ghostbusters, make Spookbusters or, you know, the Ghost Chasers or something like that. And then you are free to have these talented women go and do their thing and no one has an expectation of, you know, oh, I love the Ghostbusters with Bill Murray. I'm expecting that kind of humor, that kind of style, you know, just updated. Right. And, you know, you, and then, of course, I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. If you want to, I mean, heck, just if you want to change it that way, just change the name and, you know, but then again, they're like, well, no one's going to take a chance on something they don't know. Well, you know what? Back when those movies came out, they weren't known. Or they, I mean, when Cape Fear came out, I really doubt a lot of people were like, oh, this is a reboot of that, Cape, uh, that Robert Mitchum movie. No. Because I don't think it was that popular. I mean, that's the same thing with, you know, some of the others. It's like, if you're going to take something that, you know, didn't do that well or an idea that could have been cool that, you know, you can expound upon. True. I thought. I'm with you. Now, when you were big, you liked the Jungle Book reboot a lot, didn't you? Um, The John Favreau one? The one with the Netflix, I, I think. The John Favreau one. I, I see. The John Favreau one. Is, I put in the same category as the Beauty and Beast with Emma Watson, as in all the other, like the Lion King, quote unquote, live a- adaptation, which has all three D characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like. You're doing the same story, just, you know, changing the the cover of the book slightly. Right. I mean, for example, okay, Beauty and the Beast, okay? Yeah. That's, that's a fable. That's a story that was created millennia ago, okay? And, you know, people still know it today. I mean, it's public domain, so I can do a Beauty and Beast film and not worry about someone, you know, uh, you know, going after me for the right of using that. So if you're going to do, and I know, yes, the animated version with the songs and all that was spectacular. It worked well in the animated format. Okay, now you're like, well, I want to do a live action uh, a version. Of the Beauty and Beast. Fine. Take the story. Do it differently. Okay? Do it differently. Don't take the exact same songs. The exact same beats that you had in the other. Maybe change a little thing like. Oh. Uh, Le Fieu and uh, Gaston. They have a kind of a. You know. Sexual relationship. Or that kind of. I forget how, how they had it, like, the fear was in love with Gaston or something like that. Yeah. Which, okay, yeah, it's not that far from the original, 
I mean, if you want to look at it that way, but as, as a kid, you're not going to see those other, you know, undertones. But, I mean, that kind of change doesn't change the story. Right. Doesn't change the, the, the concept. I mean, it's, like I said, my thing is, if, if you're going to do that, at the end, have Gaston and Lafira get married. If you want to do that, have them get married. I want to see them adopt some children. Yeah. Okay? That's what I want. You're going to go down that road? Expound upon that. Okay. What a girl wants, what a girl needs. I never watched Jungle Book. I like the cartoon, Disney cartoons, cool. Um, the Jungle Book um, that I did enjoy... Now, I forget when this was made. It starred uh, Sam Neill and Carrie Elves. Uh, you know him from uh, Princess Bride as yeah. well. Um, that one I liked because uh, there was no... Uh, other than the snake. This, uh, the snake was CGI. But the thing is, they made... For example, Blue was an actual bear. Mm. Bagheera was an actual Black Panther. King Louie, actual orangutan. Okay? Actual animals. They did not have them speak or all that. You had the live action uh, characters interacting with these actual animals. And like I said, other than Pa, the snake, being CG, every, everything else. and then uh, But when they made it CG, they tried to make him look like an actual snake. Not yeah. like you know, Scarlett Johansson in the snake suit. Uh, count me in. I'm down with that. Sign me up, buddy, boy. But yeah. yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it's like... I, the King Kong, I like Peter Jackson's King Kong reboot. It was good, too. A lot of people give that hard times, but I, I actually went to theaters to see it twice. Um, and it's like two hour, three hour, two and a half hour, three hour movie. Um, I, 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 I found it very enjoyable. Huh? I like the original. The eighties version's cool. I think there was a reboot. There was a King Kong and King Kong Lives in the eighties, seventies and eighties maybe. And then uh, I like Peter Jackson's version. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like the Peter Jackson version, but Peter Jackson expounded upon the original film. He did something more with it other than just. Okay, this is the story. This copy and paste. Now, of course, we can't we can't talk about reboots without talking about you know these rise of the Planet of the Apes, none of the Planet of the Apes movies, as opposed to you know the original ones, which the original ones are great for their time. But I must say that these reboots are they're more of what like carrying on. They're more sequels, right? Or no, they're they're reboots because the Rise and Dawn are na- are names of other French the earlier franchise ones. Well, right? I mean, the thing is that they're definitely reboots. I mean, like uh, Planet of the Apes, they did one with James Franco, which was a reinvision of the original story, and then they, you know, I mean, the thing is that they they. What I liked about them was they took the original concept and they worked with it. I mean, you watch Planet of the Apes with James Franco and you watch Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston. They're not the same movie. They're not just 
I mean, I mean, uh, Tim Burton's uh, Planet of the Apes is closer to the Charlton Heston version than the uh, the James Franco version. I always forget about that Tim Burton version. But I mean, the thing is that they then you know take that and then they took the idea and they modified and they actually make it a little more you know in of course the fictional world of you know cinema made it sound a little more realistic of how the apes became the prominent uh, creatures in the uh, of the world and also how is it that men had decreased in population and also in you know being able to speak especially how they ended the um, I think it was the third third uh, uh, third one that they did uh, which was like Rise or Dawn yeah which was really well done but like I said I mean they took an original concept and they did something different with it which I appreciate yeah for sure I think they're both they're both great they reinvented the franchise I mean yeah and it worked. It made more. It made more sense. It, I thought it was a better series than the original. Tim Burton's probably was hoping to get a sequel. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm sure that was the plan at the time was to sequelize it like the originals. Marky Mark couldn't do it. They didn't want to see Marky Mark battling the monkeys. They said, "Fuck it." Um. Now we got True Grit. I got uh, True Grit. I thought was fun. The Coen Brothers. I think they made that a little bit better. You know what I mean? The John Wayne movie with uh, our boy Jeff Bridges doing it nice. I, I, I enjoyed True Grit. Um, it was a perfect film for them to do. Uh, our boy Tom Proctor should have been in True Grit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you are you have you seen both True Grits? The the. The John Wayne one. I've seen the the Coen Brothers one. I have to admit, I haven't seen the original. I mean, I have to admit, I've I've seen clips of the original. I haven't seen all the way through. I've Um, seen both. If you if you think true, if you think that if you if you think the Coen Brothers version is slow, a slow burn, don't watch the first one. No, no, no. no. I I like the Coen Brothers. True Grit. I really like the film. Yeah. Again, like I said, I haven't seen the full one all the way, uh, the old one all the way through. So again, a hundred percent, you know, say which one is a, a bit. I mean, from what I, you have to understand me, John Wayne. I put in the same category as Marlon Brando. Okay. Yeah. In the fact that I think John Wayne, the um, I guess the, I don't know, the legend, the aura around him uh, was bigger than him himself. Yeah. I mean, I understand at the time he was like the epitome of the man's man and all that, which is, which is fine. But as an actor, I don't think he was that great. I mean, right. he played John Wayne. He played John Wayne in all his films. There was not much range. And if you're going into a John Wayne film, uh, you're getting John Wayne. You're not getting, uh, you know, anything else. And, you know, some of his stuff I enjoyed, but I was never a John Wayne fan. Um, I think, uh, true, I think um, 
True Grit done by Cone Brothers was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, you know what I mean. I'm with you on that 110. You percent know, True Grit was fun, and I wasn't trying saying that you felt that way. But when I when I talk to people in out in the wild, and we talk about True Grit, Cohen Brothers, True Grit, the big complaint I usually hear of that is people think that it's kind of slow. They go, oh. I think, but it's very easy to throw that on there, you know. Um, well, with any, I mean, Western, it, with any it, Western. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that a lot of Westerns, you know, took its time. I mean, nowadays, everyone lives with, I want things now. I want to go into an action film and see people fighting and shooting. It's like, I want a little bit of talk, a lot of action. A little bit of talk, a lot of action. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the superhero movies, but that's why they you know, do so well, because it's all about the shiny objects, you know, distracting people and showing, look, look, you know, keeping people, you know, constantly engaged, which is not a bad thing, but there's a lot of good stories that could be be made that people just, you know, just ignore because they're like, oh, it's too slow. It's like, if you're trying to build, I mean, The Irishman is a perfect example. Everyone says it was too slow. It was perfectly paced for the movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, I mean, there are movies that are too slow and and, and are a bare get through. But a lot of times, as I said before, you if you take the time that yet that you need to tell the story right, in my opinion. If it takes two hours, it takes two hours. If it takes a half hour, it takes a half hour. But when you have a half hour. Thing and you're trying to make it into a two-hour film, that's where the problem usually gets. It's true. You know what I mean? Um, little Shop of Horrors. You go back to the Corman thing. When we were talking Corman earlier, I wanted to kind of bring that up. Because Little Shop, the original, I think was produced by Corman. Yeah. I could be wrong, but the I'm pretty sure it was. And also, Jack Nicholson. Public Domain. Oh, really? The original Corman movie, for whatever reason, is in Public Domain. Interesting. Um, That's that old, probably. It's probably his that old. Yeah, and and the thing is that it's it's a lot of fun. It's a good film. I enjoy it. And uh, I mean, it it and also it star it has a young Jackie Nick. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Jack Nicholson back uh, in his early days. Oh yeah, yeah, I showed that already. Yeah, the uh, the musical version has Bill Murray in the Jack Nicholson role. Come again? You know the uh, the musical uh, Little Shop of Horrors, right? Yeah. Okay. You know Bill Murray's character? Bill Murray's character in the Rick Moranis? Yes. It's escaping me at this moment. Uh, yeah, with the teeth. Oh, the guy in the dentist chair. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was, I thought, yeah, I thought you were... that was Jackie Nick in the original. Oh, really? Jackie Nichols, uh, Jack Nicholson played uh, the, uh, the guy who comes in like, oh, pull it out. Oh, yes. Yes. <sighs> that was Jack Nicholson. Interesting. In I thought he was. The, I thought Jack Nichols. I I never watched it. I always thought Jack Nicholson was the Rick Moranis character. Oh no no no! Jack Nicholson only had uh, the, that small role because because Jack 
he had Jack Nicholson had that real innocent boy when he was a young actor. He really had that innocent pushover boy vibe to him. You know. Also, another thing is old Jackie Nick was in the movie called The Raven with yeah. Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, and oh, one other horror icon I'm blanking right now. Alex Hawk. Ah, no. Not quite a, an icon yet. I'm working on it. He was also in Wolf, which was a take on, uh, you know, the Wolfman. Yeah. Also, I got a couple other horrors to round it out real quick. Uh, I wanted to bring up two reboots from a time, the earlier time, um, a little like the late 90s, early 2000s, where we first started, I feel, getting these. When, when reboots first started becoming a thing, and the first couple ones we got, I thought were enjoyable. Um, House Across, uh, House of Haunted Hill, the reboot with, I think, Gregory Rush, I believe, or Jeffrey Rush, Jeffrey Rush in it. Um, um, oh, I forget her name, but she's great. Um, um, yeah, I'm not gonna, but I think the House on Haunted Hill, I thought that was a really good uh, reboot for what it was. It was creepy and fun, you know what I mean? In the same way you got 13 Ghosts, which I thought that was creepy and fun at the time. Um, and I remember like watching them and both being like, oh, these are decent uh, reboots. And I think it's because they had time to, there was a big chunk of time in between for you to adapt, you know what I mean? I think that's why a lot of these films that they reboot, it's like they're, they're when you have 30, 40 years in between the original and the reboot, you know, you're up, there's things that you're upgrading for a new audience and those changes, you, the heart and soul of it, which is the story stays the same, but you're changing the surroundings. That's what it should be. You know what I mean? Um, and that's why that's why those work because I think that they fit for 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 that. And we're going. I know we're running a little. Do you remember those movies at all? Have you seen them? Um, I've seen both of them. Uh, House on Haunted Hill. My memory was it wasn't that good. At least I didn't think so. Liked it. It was. It wasn't a masterpiece. The great uh, Jeffrey Combs was in it as the psycho doctor. That whole. St- I remember being creep watching that with my cousin. And being creeped out. I, I probably shouldn't say that, but have a different one. I'll have to recheck that. Um, because in that one, is Chris Catan in that one? Chris Catan is in that one. He he shows up. It's it's you know they show up. These strangers show up at this 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 mansion, and they're if they survive the night, um, they get a million dollars or whatever. But the yeah. house is haunted. Yeah. And, like, they start to slowly kill him off. And Chris Kattan, I believe, is in it. And I think he's killed off rather quickly. I hope so, at least. I love Chris Kattan, but his gimmick is a little too much sometimes. Uh, ask Corky Romano or whatever the fuck that movie was, dude. Yeah. Um, um. But that was good. And, and 13 Ghost, I know you, you're a big fan of Monk, aren't you? Or is that Mike Kelvin? Yeah, yeah. Thir- 13 Ghosts, uh, that... Uh... I enjoyed it. Matthew Lillard, I thought was yep. really good in that. You know, uh, uh, 13 Ghosts showed you that it made everybody a necrophiliac for a little bit because there's a girl in there that's all naked and sliced up and dead, yeah. but you almost go, hey, uh, if, she, if she says it's okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna venture further. Um, 
So that that was making necrophilia okay for a little bit, you know. Now it's a, it's a sickness, you know. Are you a necrophiliac, Alexander the Hunk? Yeah. I'll say, in the, the the last three films I'll kind of put together uh, real real quick because I know we're running we're running on time. Um, I know we got we got a big appointment we got to go to after this um, for success. Success wants to have a meeting with us. Uh, those films are. The Evil Dead, the Fide Alvarez uh, reboot of the Sam Raimi classic. Uh, I thought that was fantastically done. It was kind of a little bit of a retelling of a story with the same, uh, uh, even more a little, even a little more balls to the wall. I think it was a little more extreme than the original. You know what I mean? Um, I thought the Evil Dead reboot was really good. We'll say that. And supposedly there's another one coming. Did you catch you catch the Evil Dead reboot? No, no, I haven't seen the Evil Dead reboot, so I really can't say much on that. Okay. Uh, now, I know you've seen the Halloween reboot. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Halloween reboot. Oh, I mean, that, it was yeah. I mean, it was okay. Um, I mean, they're trying uh, doing something different with the story, which, like I said. Whether I like it or not, I at least can appreciate when someone takes an idea and try to do something different with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like I said. I mean, I I thought it was a definitely an interesting way of going about it. And, and I mean, personally, you can't beat the original, in my opinion. Uh, um, but I think that uh, it was a. Uh, Interesting new interpretation. Yeah, like I said, I, I like the, uh, we're talking about Halloween, right? Yeah. Yeah, the David Gordon Green one, I thought he did a good job with them. I'm excited to see what he does with The Exorcist, which he just announced he's redoing The Exorcist. Um, and the Halloween, yeah, the Halloween, you know, Halloween Kills, the trailer came out for that recently, and that even that even looked good, and I was very, like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to feel, because, like, I thought that we got we got everything we wanted with that with that reboot. Where I figured them going them going further might destroy it. You know what I mean? That that precious little flower. Um, but uh, I don't know the, re- the 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 Halloween Kills actually looks pretty decent. And they announced three that they're doing three total, which I always thought was a bad idea because you know he's not going to die folklore wise. But I mean, definitely now when you know there's a third film coming. Uh, they need to be you a real good cliffhanger. Die before the third film. You need a real good cliffhanger to pull them into that third one. I feel you know what I mean. Something really creative. And then uh, you know, lastly, uh, I want to bring up a, a film that originally was a TV movie. If you know where I'm going with this, and it was uh, remade. It, 1990 was the original TV movie of it. Uh, Tommy Wallace directed it, a uh, friend of John Carpentier, you know what I mean? I think he used to shape at certain points. Um, but we're talking about Stephen King's It from 2017, you know, Andy Muschietti, uh directed this one. I think he wrote it as well. Um, or maybe he didn't. Actually, I think, I think, I actually think that he came into this late as a director and that somebody else was actually in the seat to direct and write and direct. I think one of the writers was supposed to direct, but there was some type of falling out. 
I want to say that there was like one of the dudes that was attached to true, true fucking true detective. I want to say the dude that writes true detective originally wrote the script for it. And that he's a great writer. I hear he's difficult, but he's a great writer. And, um, then uh, Muschietti came in, or maybe Muschietti was a part of the uh, uh, fucking True Detective, and there was a fallout there. But I, there's a connection to those two gentlemen somewhere, um, and I want to say that it, it ties at it because it was pu- pushing around for a while, and it was one of those movies that you go, "Don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, please don't fuck this up." There's so much potential for it to be cool, but that le- also leaves a lot of potential for failure, and. Um, you know, uh, I was like blown away how good the fir- the first reboot was, and the second one's pretty good too. And uh, I put that in the same category as Fede Alvarez when he rebooted The Evil Dead, because as a filmmaker and a fan, when I watch a reboot, when I'm done watching it, I I I kind of grade it on if I had the money and the capabilities that these people had, me being a fan of it, could I make a film? better than that they made um, with what they had. And in, in, in both situations of it and the evil dead, I, I, I had to say, no, I feel like I don't, I couldn't have made a better film than these gentlemen made what, that they did. You know what I mean? Um, which to me makes it a success, you know, but the, those, that it movie phenomenal dude phenomenal you know they reinvented pennywise you know made it scarier there's scarier elements to it um it was a little more fast paced you know that's one thing you see in modern horror is the pacing is a lot different not only the editing but the pacing of whatever you're dealing with you know the the slow zombie, you know, Dracula was even slow way going way back. Frankenstein, the mummy, these are all slow things. You know what I mean? It was creeping death. It was the, the feel of creeping death. I think that's kind of when people say, Oh, it's how people looked at their, you know, the fact that they, 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 they dealt with how they're going to die one day, you know, they can, their mortality. I think it's that creeping death aspect where it's like, death's always slowly coming towards you. Whereas in, I guess it's even more modern now with the madness of the world. Death comes to you a little quicker nowadays. You know what I mean? Um, or it can, it can easily uh, run up on you anywhere and, you know, pop you, pop, 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 pop you while eating a whopper. Um, but I think it has that vibe, but yeah, the Halloween, it and the evil dead are two reboots that I definitely want a three reboots. That I definitely wanted to kind of make note of. So I think that they're kind of the better, uh, better of the bunch more recently. I'm sure I'm probably leaving some out. Uh, you could go into the in- independent world kind of a little bit. You can bring up Maniac. Um, originally, the Joe Spinell film is a masterpiece, a horror masterpiece, directed by William Lustig. Um, and then uh, the director, I think his last name's Frank. I forget his, maybe his first name's Frank. Uh, I think he's a German director did the reboot, um, Elijah Wood starred in it, you know, on paper you go, Elijah Wood, the star of Maniac, that's kind of fucking a terrible idea, because he's this big Hollywood star, he's a fucking hobbit, you know what I mean, and he's a, he's an official lord of the ring, you know what I mean, uh, and you're putting him in this small horror movie that's supposed to be based off of this super fucking exploitation, low budget horror movie that works because of how grimy and gritty it is. You know what I mean? The way they flipped it with the reboot, 
um, was pretty pretty genius. Where they had this movie star, but they never they didn't use his face. They they tried to stay away from his face as much as possible, which I give complete artistic credibility and respect that filmmaker, whoever officially made that decision. Uh, Elijah Wood, I think, was a producer on the film. I think I think Maniac was the beginning of his production company that would later go on to do like uh uh was it the good goodbye daddy movie he did um colorado space they did mandy i think um like i think it was the beginning of that production company and uh, so i think his hand was in it so it's even a choice on his part an artistic decision on his part as a producer actor uh, and I applauded the fact that he didn't want that. He said, you know what? I'm not going to get my face seen for the better of the film. I always applaud that with Mr. Elijah Wood. He's the good son in that situation for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and with that being said, man, I think that's kind of it. Is there anything else you wanted to say about reboots? Uh, nothing. Just, uh, just a toss on to uh, the um, it uh, thing that you were saying. The only yeah. thing I would say is that the It uh, miniseries uh, that the uh, It Chapter One definitely is a better re- uh, is a good reboot. Yeah. Chapter Number Two, nope. Uh, the original is a lot superior than Chapter Number Two. But that's my opinion because I think that they nailed the kids this time around, but the adults. Didn't work the same or as well as back then. Uh, that's all I'd add to. I can slightly agree with that. Now you're saying what the second, the reboot sequel wasn't as good as the original sequel, or was it as good as the whole? Three? Well, the thing is, they split in. And if you remember, the miniseries had both too. The miniseries mainly had the adults. Yeah, and the kids are in flashback. Right. Okay. Now, this time, they did two different movies, one focusing on just the kids, and then one mainly focusing on just the adults, okay? The one that focuses mainly on the kids, that was a good reboot. I I consider it even better than the original, okay? But Chapter 2, with the adults, was not as good as the original, in my opinion. Well, you know the chap the, the the original has is two is two parts as well, and kind of has that format where the first one's more with the kids and the second one's more with the adults. And I agree completely that the bad the the most entertaining the best the best the kid part is is the best part. You know what I mean? But it's still good and creepy when it gets to the adult part. Well, like I said, I mean, in my opinion, and I will always say Tim Curry is a bit of Pennywise. Nothing against Skarsgård, but I'm. Tim Curry was, you know, scary. Yeah, he's Tim Curry. You see, I was, I was a purist, and I said that as well. It's a weird thing. It's kind. Of, I look at it like I look at exactly like I look at the Jack Nicholson Heath Ledger deal, where I consider them all. They're the same name, but they're two different type of characters. You know, Jack Nicholson's the more laid back, more mafioso type Joker, and. Heath Ledger's more the drug addict, out of control, loose cannon joker. Um, and with that being said, you know, I kind of feel like uh, it in Pennywise and the the T the miniseries. He is he is kind of more 
he is, does have kind of a more laid back, pro, more professional. If you were to compare, you know what I mean. More, more adult. If you were to prepare, if you were to, if you were to compare them, it was more adult than the kids were. Whereas in uh, Pennywise in the reboot, he's a. I always take Pennywise as a kid. This he always has a kid vibe to him. Like he, I always Pennywise in the reboot is very. He's almost like a kid that wanted to be a part of the losers club that what wasn't allowed into the club. You know what I mean? Whereas in on the flip side of it, it's different, you know, but, uh, Tim Curry was adult from the, from the very get go. He always had that adult vibe to it. You could blame CGI and effects to why they can make the new, the scars guard. So kitty, because when you're jumping all over the walls and shit, it's easy to kind of be, you know, kitty like, but I do feel that, I do feel that there's a younger vibe to the Skarsgård Pennywise than there is. You've got more of an ancient demon with 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 um, our boy, our boy Tim Curry. You have more of an ancient demon, devilish vibe to it. Uh, like he's the like he's more intimidating. And then with the Skarsgård, it is more uh, demon escaped from hell on the loose running amok, but maybe some, at some point the devil will come to get him and bring him back type deal. Whereas it, it seems more like the devil sent him to kind of be there. Uh, it has that weird vibe to it, but both, I, and I, you know, like I, I like them both a lot. I didn't think I was going to like it. I was blown away with it, the reboot, because I really, I remember at the time I started, like right when I heard about it, I started adapting a film like a funzy script that if I ever got anywhere in life with filmmaking that I'd like to do. And I was having fun writing it. And I remember they, they, they announced that it, and I was like, well, this is even more of not a reality now. So uh, I had like bad feelings towards it. And I remember when I watched it, I was blown away at how good it was. And you can't, I don't think you, you can't hate it. You know, there's certain people that do, but are they just like hating everything? I think, but yeah, so that will cap that off because we had a fucking gigantically long episode um, for y'all out there today. But if you like this episode, you know, hit us up on the book. Let us know what you liked about it. Let us know if we forgot one. What your favorite reboot is, you know. So let us know if we need to do a worst reboot episode. We're trying to get a little positive, trying to bring a little positivity in the world, not going so negativity. With the best, uh, with that, like the, the talking about, you know, all the money lost and all the careers lost. We're trying to go into a more righteous place. So, but if y'all want to hear some of the worst reboots, maybe we'll get into that. You know what I mean? And give us your opinions. But with that being said, you know, thanks for listening. Uh, if you liked any of this, go check out more shows where you're hearing it. We got the social medias, you know, check us out on the book. Under the Boombastic cast, you know, we got Boombastic Media on the YouTube. We got uh, Boombastic Streaming on Patreon for anybody out there in the support of Mood uh, who can do so. We understand times are tough and tight, but if you want to feel all right, get yourself through the night. You know what I mean? You got to do what's right. Do what's right. Give Hawk all your money. So with that being said... I think that's it, right, Hawkman? Yeah, I'm all I'm all good. We's all good, man. Uh, good job, Bill Skarsgård. 
even though Alexander Hawk says you can't hold the jockstrap of Tim Curry, I think I think myself and Tim Curry would both give you a round of applause. Round of applause. And originally, I didn't like the idea of the casting. I'm, I'm with you. Originally, my take was very much like yours with the the adult casting. Um, I think they had, what, Dan Heater in there, whatever his name is. Not Dan yeah. Heater. Fucking the comedian who came. Uh, yeah, and, and you had um, uh, James McAvoy. Yeah. Like, I didn't I, – at first, I didn't appreciate the fact that you had these big stars – in these spots. And, you know, going back to the miniseries, there was big stars in those spots as well, but you don't get that vibe as a kid. And when you watch it later in life, but um, yeah, like we've talked about in the past, I thought that there'd be some overshadowing of the film with how big these stars were, but it was played very nicely. You know what I mean? And uh, I applauded that, you know, I, I thought it was really good times. So with that being said, we won't take up any more your day and uh, enjoy Interviews on Boombastic Media YouTube page. All right. We got some big interviews coming up. Always a pleasure. Always fun. Always good times. We'll catch all y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace.